Hello my little bookworms and welcome back to Stories with a Nerd. I really hope you enjoyed last episode. We learned something really crazy about Wish and what was really in the stone that takes away magic. This episode we're going to be finishing the book actually. So I hope you enjoy. (laughs) Chapter 20. The story gets even twistier. There's something looked like a little slick of black oil leaking out of the stone like the yolk leaking out of a broken shell. It couldn't be the king witch, could it? For how could the thing that they had seen inside there creep out of only a split, an inch wide? Surely the witch must be dead when a great big witch-killing sword had been driven right through the middle of the stone. That must be the dead witch's blood leaking out of the broken stone. But in front of their eyes the pool of liquid grew larger and larger, and then the black water solidified and turned in front of their eyes into something flesh and blood that moved, a real and living body. A feathery, soggy, scarecrow of a something, feathers soaking wet. Sometimes people like to reassure themselves that witches couldn't possibly ever have been as bad as the fairy stories said they were. One look at the King Witch told you that they were every bit as bad, and maybe even somewhat worse. Just looking at a witch has been known to scare a person to death. They can, of course, assume many forms. Some of them are quite pleasant, but mostly they find it helpful to look as scary as possible. The thing had a nose like a knife, so razor sharp and pointy at the end that it looked like you could cut onions with it. There were just two black holes instead of eyes either side, like deep wells with something flinty and slimy as mercury, glinting queasily at the bottom of them. The mouth, dripping that revolting black saliva from the fangs. The jaws couldn't hinge to swallow a deer in one gulp. A body like a human mixed with a panther and those black feathery wings. All in all, the Kingwitch was not a pretty sight. Power reeked from that slithering thing. As slowly, slowly, he unfurled its wet black wings to their full extent and they dripped onto the dungeon floor, black, smoking drips, as he lifted his beak and looked straight at Zara and Bodkin. And then he vanished. Where, where is it? Where is it? said Zara, whirling around. The animals howled in horror. The sprites opened up their fang-filled mouths and shrieked in fear, for there are very few things more scary than an enemy that you cannot see. Wish, over on the other side of the room, picked herself up, shaking. Nobody panic, said Caliburn, panicking like crazy. Where is it? Can anyone see it? The three of them whirled round and round, trying to see the invisible witch, but there was nothing there. It's going to attack Wish, said Tsar. He knew this. He wasn't sure why. Sure enough, the air above Wish seemed to thicken and darken. Bravely, the enchanted spoon standing on Wish's head turned to face that darkness. But an enchanted spoon is the sort of thing you might want on your side if you were making dessert, not if you're facing one of the most terrifying life forms that has ever walked this planet. Zar tried to drag the sword out of the stone, but it was stuck fast as if it had been rooted there all along. However hard he pulled, it would not budge. So with another blood-curdling yell, completely unarmed, Zar, the boy who cared for nobody but himself, launched himself for the diving witch. As the witch screeched downward, diving at Wish, he was turning himself visible as he plunged, and turning yourself visible is not as easy or painless as lighting a candle. It looked, indeed, as if the atmosphere itself was being ripped apart like a curtain. At first the head appeared, half melting at the edges with black sparks and smoke, and then with a terrible smell of burning feathers, the witch himself screaming like a falcon. Wish ducked automatically. The witch had been aiming straight for her head, intending to tear it off. Dear little creatures, these witches, aren't they? But Zara and the snowcats leaped the mightiest leaps they'd ever leaped, and they caught the diving witch by his tail. So instead, the witch's talons scraped across Wish's face, ripping off her eye patch as the witch soared up into the air, and Wish yelled and put her hands over her head as she fell to the floor. With a furious scream, the witch shook off Zara and the snowcats, swirling round viciously, and then turned to attack the insignificant and irritating human boy who had shoved the sword in the stone and frustrated its pursuit of Wish. The witch smiled, and oh, by mistletoe, all things sweet and juicy and poisonous, a witch's grin is a terrible thing. He unhinged his jaws so that he could swallow Zara in one gulp. 
The hot witch's breath reeked so revoltingly of rotten eggs and death that Zar nearly passed out from the stink of it. At least I'm going to die gloriously, thought Zar through his terror. Not some kind of nunnity. I'll be the first person to be killed by a witch in hundreds and hundreds of years. How like Zar to be thinking of fame and glory even at the point of death. The witch swooped. This time, he would not miss. Chapter 21 Wishing Bodkin shouted, No! Over in the other corner of the room, Bodkin saw Wish uncurl her hands from her face. She lifted her head and she too shouted, No! The witch had torn off her eye patch and it had fallen to the floor. Wish's eye that was normally hidden underneath the eye patch was closed and there was a deep scratch over it. It was ever so slightly larger than the other eye and all around the edge was a deep purple bruise as if the poor human skin around the burning force of it difficult to bear. As Wish shouted, she opened her eyelid just a tiny, tiny crack, and the colour of the eye underneath was very odd indeed. It was a colour that no one had ever seen before. A hitherto unimagined colour. I can't describe it, apart from comparing it to other things. It was a colour that managed to be both warm and cold at the same time, a colour that reminded you of volcanoes, of thunderstorms, of electricity, of power. Wish could feel the power within her, and it was a truly terrifying, a rage, a riot, and a thunderstorm in her head, so violent it made her headache as if goblins were hammering it from the inside. The individual hairs on her head twitched upwards vertically in the air. A confused, sickening wind ricocheted around the room, sending the sprites and the feathers and the dust bowling through the air, and the floor bent and shivered like it was a nauseous sea. In the depths of that extraordinary eye, strange clouds formed, like the beginning and the churning and the building of ideas, and there was a tiny snapping noise, and the magic screamed out of Wish's eye so forcefully you could see the impossible colour of it in the shape of a bent and twisted star, hitting the witch at exactly the same moment that the witch pointed his taloned finger to shoot one piercing blast of white-hot magic back at Wish. And then... Bang! The witch exploded into a mass of charcoal and black feathers. Bodkin and Tsar and the snowcats were blown off their feet. The dust and the feathers of the witch fell through the air like dark rain. Chapter 22 Making Amends and Paying the Price The walls and the floor seized their wild shaking and came to a shuddering halt with such violent abruptness that a few large stones fell out of the doorway. Oh my goodness, I don't believe it. I did it, gasped Zara in astonishment, raising himself onto one elbow, coughing and spluttering and staggering to his feet in the dust clouds, trying to catch the dropping feathers in his joy. I killed the witch! Wake up, assistant bodyguard, wake up! Tsar gently prodded the prone body of Bodkin with his foot, for Bodkin had fainted once again with a shock of it. I've killed the witch! I did it! The witch is dead! The witch is dead! sang the sprites, joyfully turning somersaults in the air. Groggily, Bodkin came too, rubbing his head. What happened? It exploded, marvelled Tsar excitedly, for Tsar was a boy who loved an explosion. It actually exploded. It was magnificent, the loudest explosion I have ever heard. I can't believe you missed it. Tsar whooped joyfully as he held out his hand to help Bodkin to his feet. It exploded, said Bodkin in a dazed way, reaching out a hand to catch one of the feathers still dropping through the wreck of the room. Look, said Tsar, pointing at the feathers lying all around them. That's all that's left of the witch. Wish magic exploded it but it was my brilliant sword thrust that will have made it weak enough for the explosion to work. He raised his fist in the air. I'm the boy of destiny. Feel my power. Oh my goodness, we did it, shouted Bodkin as he realised the enormity of what they had achieved. We killed the king witch, wizards and warriors working together. Zara and Bodkin hugged each other as the snowcats capered joyfully around them on the churned up floor, howling with happiness. 
Yes, I have to admit, wish, you were a bit of a help with that weird thing you did with your eye. What was that? Zar turned to congratulate Wish. But Wish was not there. It was only then that they realised how silent it was. The walls were not shaking. The churned up floor was perfectly still beneath their feet. And it wasn't only feathers that were falling quietly through the chamber and landing on the floor beneath them. There were also flakes, like snowflakes, and each individual flake was a very unusual colour. Silence, apart from the gentle falling of black feathers, snow of an unusual colour, and dust. But where is Wish? said Bodkin in a bewildered way, looking round the room at the open doorway with the door blasted out of it. Did you see where she went? Look, the door has come out of its hinges, said Zar. So maybe she ran out to fetch help or something. And then he noticed the spoon lying motionless in the centre of the floor. Zar knelt and picked up the spoon. It was hard and cold now that all enchantment had gone from it. A perfectly ordinary iron dinner spoon. Carefully, Zar laid it back down on the floor again. Silence in the chamber of magic removal. Caliburn flew to Zar's shoulder with long, slow, reluctant wing beats and perched there in misery. I'm so sorry, Zar, said Caliburn, but in the confusion I think you did not notice a second explosion nearly at the same time as the first. Wish was taken by surprise. She was shocked into letting down her guard, the king which let off a final burst of magic, and it hit her directly. She exploded as well as the king witch, said Zar, unable to believe it because he hadn't seen it with his own eyes. Impossible. Inconceivable. Come back, Wish, thought Zar fiercely. Come back. I wish, I wish, I wish you would come back. But he couldn't breathe life back into those fragments, however much he longed to. Breathe! Be alive again! Move of your own accord! But the strange coloured dust that was once Wish lay cold and still, and not any of Zar's wishing could ever make it move again. Even the very greatest conjurer in the world could not do that. Actions have consequences, and you must pay the price of making amends, and some things that cannot unhappen. Zar cried. He and Bodkin knelt down in the room, and they cried together, their heads bowed, while the black feathers and the weird coloured dust lay quiet and unmoving in a small circle all around them. Even the sprites wept, and fairies do not cry. It is one of the things about them. They never, ever cry. But their tears dropped down onto the feathers and the snow. And then... And then... And then, through streaming eyes, Zar thought he saw the edge of the spoon twitch. He blinked. Maybe it was an illusion... But no, there it was again, a definite wiggle of the outline of the spoon. What's happening? whispered Bodkin, with round, wondering eyes. What's going on? whispered the sprites, gripping tight to their pin-sharp needles of wands. Their hair shot out electrically sharp. The room bristled once again with magic. The strangely coloured little flakes of wish lifted themselves up from the floor. A great cloud of little fragments that sang like birdsong as they flurried around in the air, shuffling and rearranging themselves as if they had some internal memory of exactly where in the infinitely complicated jigsaw puzzle that makes up a human being their tiny individual piece was supposed to be. They never bumped into each other, those millions and millions of tiny dusty ashy pieces, flying around in a whirling flurry of animation, until they settled gradually on the floor, forming the nose, eyes, ears, mouth, legs of Wish, like they were creating a sculpture out of thin air, building life itself in front of Zara and Bodkin's very eyes. For a second, the perfect sculpture was still, dead, perfect but inert, the robotic outline of what had once been Wish. 
but above Zara and Bodkin's heads, the last fragments of wish were forming themselves into the shape of a human heart, suspended in the air. Look, breathed Tiffinstorm, pointing above them, and Zara caught his breath. That's impossible, thought Zara. I can't be seeing that. A flying heart. The small brown heart descended from above rather fast in a hurry and plunged softly through the chest of Wish lying on the floor and Wish sat straight up like a wooden automation and took a huge gulp of air, gasped it like she was drinking life in itself and went from death to life in a shaking, spluttering, ugly with spittle and flag moment. What? What happened? She's alive! Chapter 23. When the adventure is over, the problems begin. She's alive! She's alive! She's alive! Around the room they dance now with even greater jubilation than before, the enchanted spoon doing mad pirouetting circles. Oh, my feathers and my beak and tail, breathed Caliburn. Thank goodness for that. For one horrible moment, I thought it was all going to go dreadfully wrong. And fate and the universe had given us the worst bad hair day of all. But she's alive. Wish staggered to her feet in the clouds of dust. I'm fine, said Wish shakily. I'm fine. With her hair up in all directions, in an enormous electric ruff, she looked like a piratical sea urchin. Quick, put your eye patch back on, said Bodkin, bending down, picking up the eye patch from the dusty floor and hurriedly handing it to her, for the uncovered magic eye was making the walls shake again. As soon as Wish put the eye patch back on, the floor stopped heaving and the walls straightened. What happened there? asked Wish, finding it difficult to keep her balance. It was incredible, shouted Tsar. Unbelievable. Impossible. Inconceivable. What we have just witnessed, said Caliburn, in impressive tones, is one of the most extraordinary sights in the entire universe. That of a great enchanter regenerating themselves. What on earth are you talking about, blinked Wish? You're alive, shouted Bodkin. You died, but you're a great enchanter, so you have more than one life. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, said Wish. I wasn't dead. I just fell over for a second there. You were in pieces, said Zar joyfully, tiny little pieces all over the room, and then you came back together again. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Nonsense, said Wish, a little more uncertainly. For what, with one thing and another, she was feeling a little untogether, as you would be, if you had just take, been taken apart and been put together again, rather rapidly. That's impossible. What are you saying? You're saying that I can die and come back to life, said Wish? Yeah, but there's a catch, said Caliburn. Even the great enchanters are made out of flesh and blood, and that wears out after a while. So you have to be careful of your lives, Wish, for you do not know how many you will have. Okay, said Wish, finding all this a little difficult to take in. And what about my eye? It must be a magic eye, said Caliburn. Extremely rare, very powerful. I've only ever seen that twice before in all my lifetimes. And never that colour. That must be the colour of magic that works on iron. Hang on a second, said Zar crossly. The person who has magic that works on iron is the boy of destiny. Wish can't be the boy of destiny. She's a girl, for starters. Nobody says the person of destiny has to be a boy's are, said Caliburn. This isn't the Dark Ages, you know. Well, it was, actually, but nobody ever thinks they're living in the Dark Ages. I don't understand, said Wish. I've taken my eye patch off loads of times, and trust me, nothing like that has ever happened before. Yes, well, you've only just turned thirteen, so the magic will have only just come in, won't it, said Caliburn. So, not only am I magic, said Wish, very, very upset, but it's a really weird kind of magic and it's all my fault that these witches are waking. Well, not your fault, exactly, said Caliburn. However, if the witches could get hold of the magic that works on iron, they might have a hope of rising once again. They know from centuries of bloody wars that without that power they cannot defeat the warriors. That is what they've been waiting for all these years. Shoot.
This was bad. Really bad. It's not a pleasant thought to think that the most terrifying creatures on Earth want to target you in particular. Wish was feeling very conflicted about all this. On the one hand, it was of course a disaster for a warrior to suddenly discover she was magic. But on the other, in the past she had always been a wish. A word which spoken was accompanied by a sigh of disappointment. Sycorax's very ordinary seventh daughter, a little bit clumsy and a little bit blind, who was trying and failing to be a warrior like her sisters. But now she has discovered she was wish, quite a different sort of word. A word that was another name for magic itself, and this new wish was an individual of quite some considerable specialness, who might look ordinary on the outside, but on the inside had a glorious, if rather dangerous, secret. The Spelling Book The Magic Eye Very, very rarely a wizard is born with a magic eye. This is a very powerful magic that can be difficult to control. It is often associated with enchanters who have more than one life. We can think about all this stuff later. In the meantime, it's all worked out, said Zart joyously. We've saved Squeeze Juice, Wishes Alive, we killed the King Witch, I've broken that horrible stone and made amends. Everything ends happily. I knew it would all turn out all right at the end. He turned triumphantly to Caliburn. You see, that wasn't so hard, was it? Oh, Zar, said Caliburn, shaking his head. You're going to be the death of me. These adventures of yours are very, very bad for my heart. Bodkin stared at them all in awe. In the last five minutes, he had rocketed so violently from terror to despair to rapturous joy that it felt as if a great grey ogre had been rattling him in a bucket. You mean, he whispered in awe, have experiences like this on a regular basis? All the time, sighed Caliburn. This was a particularly bad one, admittedly. Bodkin looked around the devastated room. Sycorax's precious chamber of magic removal ruined, the floor a mess of rubble, the stone exploded, the door blown off its hinges, the scrape of witch's talons on the door frame. An ancient peril, witches, dead for hundreds of years, woken up and come out into the world once more? What do you mean, worked out, said Bodkin? I don't call this worked out. It's a mess, a total mess. The witches are out there, said Bodkin, and it's all our fault. I should never have let the princess out of the fort. I should have told the grown-ups. Wish gently patted him on the shoulder. Now, now, Bodkin, you're being too hard on yourself. It's not all our fault. The witches were out there anyway. They were always there. We just couldn't see them. We have to look on the hopeful side. And look how much we learn from this adventure. Wish continued. Warriors and wizard fought by a king witch side by side and defeated it. That has to be a good sign for the future. They left the sword in the stone for it would not budge even when Wish pulled it. Fate didn't seem to think that either of them was ready to wield that sword. I don't understand, said Zar, bewildered. We need that sword more than ever. Now witches have returned to the forest. But the sword is a bit wayward, isn't it? said Caliburn. And we don't really understand its secrets yet. So maybe this is the right place for it at the moment. Caliburn might be right. For goodness knows where he could safely conceal and imprison an enchanted sword that seemed to have a mind of its own and wanted to kill witches and slice through floors and ceilings. And even if Queen Sycorax, who was a prison expert, couldn't work out a solution of how to contain it, well, the stone was probably a safe place for it as any at the moment. They left a note for Sycorax by the sword and the stone. Wish wrote it, so the spelling was a little erratic. Dear Queen Sycorax, I have returned your sword. Do not touch the blade if you are ever able to take it out. It may be stained with witch blood. Sorry. Best wishes, Tsar, son of Incanzo, Grand Wizard of Forever. It wasn't hard to find the once magic people that Sycorax had imprisoned. You just had to follow the noise. As soon as they entered the dungeon, the singing ceased, and the once magic stared at them, unable to believe they were there. The giant crusher raised his shaggy head. Zah, he roared. You've come to save me. I knew you would.
Of course I have, said Tsar, conveniently forgetting that if Wish hadn't pointed it out, he wouldn't have even noticed Crusher was missing. Because I am a leader, and that is what a leader does. One look at that giant's kindly innocent face crinkling up in delight as Tsar hugged his ankle made everything worthwhile for Wish. This imprisonment of the once magic people was wrong, and she could tell it was wrong. Her mother was mistaken. Not wicked like Tsar said she was. Of course not but mistaken nonetheless. Let's get out of here, roared Tsar, punching the air. But to Tsar's surprise, the once magic people were not so keen to escape as he expected. They stood there, even the loudest of the hobs rather silent and depressed, as if the air had leaked from a balloon, and the poor sprites who had lost their ability to fly were so mortified they ran away, scuttling like mice across the prison floor. They were ashamed, Tsar, explained Caliburn. For what is a giant without his size? What is a sprite without her wings? They were like warriors returning from battle, terribly wounded, these poor people, and they no longer knew how they would fit into the world of magic. But Tsar coaxed them out. He jumped upon a rock in the centre of the dungeon. Don't be embarrassed, everybody, cried Tsar. I am Tsar, a boy of destiny, and it, and at present it seems due to some weird divine oversight that I don't understand, even I have no magic yet. I have come to rescue you, and I will take you back to my father in Kanzo, the great enchanter, who has ever lived, and I'm sure he will be able to restore your magic. I don't think you should be promising them that, Tsar, said Caliburn. I'm not sure that's possible. But the promise offered hope to these people. The thought of magic being returned to them brought a shine to even the dullest and most crestfallen pocket or will-o'-the-wisp's eye. Crusher the giant scooped up the little sprites who could no longer fly and kindly offered them a lift in his pockets, while they perched like little nits in his hair, and the gradually growing larger party galloped and sprang and ran through the corridors back to the chamber of magic removal because that was where they would pick up the path to the secret exit. At the chamber of magic removal, the little party stopped. This is where we part, said Bodkin. Come with us, Wish, said Tsar. Come back to our camp. You can be magic there. Tsar and Wish had met in a crossing of paths and stars in the forest, only twenty-four hours earlier. Here, deep in the underground prison, was another crossing of the ways, and Wish had to decide on which way to go. One way, the sprite dust trail of light led black through the dungeon maze and up to Sycorax's hill fort. The other way... A tall, dark corridor led towards a secret exit and out into the forest, and that was where Zara and the magic creatures were going. It was extremely tempting to take that path, for it seemed like the path of excitement and wildness and magic and snowcats. But I can't leave home, said Wish. I'm only thirteen. This is my home, and my mother isn't as bad as you think she is. Your mother is a very dangerous person, said Zara. Even though Bodkin wanted Wish to come back up to the fort with him, in all honesty, he had to agree with Tsar. Remember those heads in that chamber? Those spelling books piled high in the cells? Sycorax is trying to be a sorceress, which... Murmuring mistletoe, don't you think that's true? gasped Wish. But how can she when she's the only one who only goes on about how bad magic is and how we should fight against it? Yes, Sycorax had plenty of secrets. Wish had learned rather more about her mother than she wanted to know. But she's trying to do the right thing. I know she is, and my mother deserves a second chance, said Wish stubbornly. We all deserve a second chance, don't we? Wish is right. She should stay here, said Caliburn, not thinking so much of giving Sycorax a second chance, but of the many evil people, wizards and worse, who might like to get their hands on magic that works on iron. Wish's magic is so powerful that it will be better off at the moment in the protection of the warrior fort. In fact, now I come to think of it, the warriors have to keep Tsar's spelling book, just in case. Oh, that's so kind of you, Caliburn, said Wish. But I won't be needing it, she gave a little shiver. I'm not going to be doing any more magic for the moment, not until I can persuade everyone in the warrior tribe that magic isn't as bad as they think it is. No, whispered Bodkin urgently, even though he was absolutely longing to look again at the pictures, at the stories, at the recipes, the spells of the whole wonderful world of magic in that book, which Caliburn had now taken from Tsar's pocket. No, we shouldn't have any magic things any more. Look at all the trouble that beastly spoon and the enchanted sword has got us into. Wish is a warrior princess and she needs to give up all this magic stuff. 
Caliburn gave him an affectionate look. Ah, magic can be concealed. Magic can be hidden. But giving magic up, that is very hard indeed. Look what just happened here in this fort. However, the kind of magic Wish has, admitted Caliburn, is so dangerous and so special that it's probably better for you to conceal it. Nobody must ever find out, or Wish will be in terrible danger. There is a lot to be said for the nice, quiet, ordinary life of a warrior princess. She is very lucky to have you, Bodkin, as her guardian angel. Bodkin blushed. I don't know what you're talking about. What is an angel? Is it something like a sprite? A little, said Caliburn. Remember, I cannot stress this more strongly. No one must ever find out about this. That's why you need this book. There are many, many useful chapters in there about concealing and hiding your magic from others. And if, by some unlucky chance, dangerous people start going after you, people with wicked hearts and deep spells and strong magic of their own, why, then, this book may save your life. Wish took the book from the bird. It was in a terrible state, burned and stained with pages dropping out like confetti. You can write in it too, said Caliburn. Write your own story, and that always helps if you're trying to keep a secret. Take a feather from my back. There's one that's about to fall out, and keep it with you all the time. Wish drew the falling out feather from Caliburn's back, and placed it carefully inside the spelling book, and put the book in a pocket in her cloak. Goodbye, squeeze juice, said Wish, as a sprite hovered crossly in front of her. I hope you get well soon, and you fly just as well as you ever did. I don't know why you don't want to come back to wizard camp with us, but I don't care, grump squeezed Juice crossly, tweaking her hair and pinching her nose and giving her little bites like stinging nettles. You have a face like a warthog. You are stinkier than a cowpat. Oh, you're cursing me. That's wonderful, squeezed Juice. You must be feeling better, said Wish delightfully. Squeezed Juice looked dolefully into her eyes. But why aren't you staying? Come with us, don't make me sad. I'm so sorry, squeezed Juice. Never mind, hysterial, his eyes spitting with malice. We'll miss you, but we'll get over it, won't we, Mustard Thought? They can stay here forever in their great lumping thought of dullness. Ariel waved his thorny arms and spat out a few words that sounded like and they did not sound friendly. Goodbye, Zar, said Wish. Goodbye, said Zar, whistling carelessly, his hands in his pockets, for he did not want anyone to think he was upset. And then they parted ways. Zar and his magic creatures ran and flew down the corridor, the sprites trailing beautiful little snakes of light that spelled words like goodbye and don't come back and beware and good riddance. Wish and Bodkin watched them until they vanished into the darkness. singing their songs that were eventually too far away to hear. And then, sadly, Wish and Bodkin went in the other direction, up to where the guard was still sleeping at the dungeon entrance, and then back through the fort, they tiptoed, carefully avoiding the night watchman. Meanwhile, Zara and his once magic people took every second left-hand turning till they got to Queen Sycorax's secret exit, an enormous door which must have been constructed by the quick, clever hands of Hobbells, for it was not only huge, but slanting inwards from the slope of the hill outside. It was a wonder, really, that it could be a secret, for the door was large enough for a giant to get in and out of, if they merely bent down their head a little. Once they got there, it was far easier to break out of the fort than it had been to break in. Tsar did an impression of Queen Sycorax, shouting, Open up and be quick about it! The password is control! And... A guard standing on the other side opened the door, which was wood on one side and turf like grass on the other, and they all trooped out. Zar was wearing that distinctive red royal cloak, so the guard assumed that was what looked like Queen Sycorax on the outside was Queen Sycorax on the inside as well. The guard did not seem surprised to see his queen going in and out of the fort in the company of a giant and a whole load of once magic people. He merely sent a up a hand signal to the sentries at the battlements to let them know not to shoot. Nobody run, whispered Tsar, for he could feel the snowcats quivering by his side. We mustn't look frightened. If we look scared and start running away, then they'll suspect something is wrong. 
All the sentries saw that this was someone wearing Sycorax's red cloak in the middle of the party, as a soft tread of the snowcats made paw prints in the snow, and Zara and his magic creatures strolled quietly away from the fort and into the forest, and the sprites blinking out like stuffed candles as they hit the sky. Zara only relaxed once he and the snowcats had reached the safety of the cover of the trees. He looked back at the fort. The door had been shut, and no one would guess that there was a door there unless they knew it already and the little ant-like figures of the sentries on the battlements did not even look remotely alarmed or agitated. It was almost as if Queen Sycorax made a habit out of coming in and out of that secret entrance, with all sorts of strange magic people and things, without the citizens of the fort knowing anything about it. Despite the fact that magic was very strictly banned by order of herself. Oh, she was an interesting woman, that Queen Sycorax. But tricky. Very tricky. Chapter 24 What They Didn't See It wasn't only Zara the magic creatures who escaped in the, in the midnight of the forest. As soon as Zara and Wish and Bodkin had left the chamber of magic removal, there was silence for a second, and then a strange wind crept up inside the room, although it is impossible for a wind to blow inside. The black feathers and the dusty fragments of the king witch lying all around began to blow about restlessly. For you see, every light has its dark. Day only exists with night. Wish died and came back to life, did she not? For it turned out she was a great enchanter, and great enchanters have more than one life. But there was more than one great enchanter in the room. If Wish could come alive again, so, too, could the king witch... Slowly, 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 the millions and millions of kingwitch fragments rose up into the air, making a strange, sweet humming noise. And the tiny individual bits whizzed around at tremendous speed, like a swarm of bees shuffling and reshuffling themselves, just like they had with Wish, as if they had some internal memory of where they were supposed to be. And a strange singing filled the room, sweet and evil, all at the same time. How many times this witch life? How many times must it be killed? How many lives must yet be left? Risk it all, risk it all, risk it all. Not even a great enchanter knows exactly how many lives they have, so it was always chancy to risk one, in case that was the last one you had. But it appeared that the king witch had one more life left to him, at least. Up and up the feathers and fragments rose, and as they rose, they joined back together again in the dark and dangerous form of the king witch. One of his wings was fractured and hanging limply, but it was very much alive. Sebitimos yui eva estol edelatabni retro o new ed raw, croaked the king witch, which means sometimes you have to lose a battle in order to win the war. The witch gave an an intelligible shriek, and then he made himself invisible again. He flew back through the broken doorway. He was weak, so weak after the fight and the being trapped in a stone for centuries and the wounding from the witch-killing sword. He needed to get away, to rest before he could attack again, so he lurked like an invisible bat, flying above everyone's heads as Zara and his magic creatures rang along the corridors. When they escaped through Sycorax's secret door, the invisible witch escaped too, and out into the world the king witch flew, slowly turning visible as he reached the trees. Chapter 25 Mother and Daughter Bodkin and Wish parted ways at the door of Wish's house in the middle of the fort. Wish lived in a house all on her own, for princesses were so grand they had houses all to themselves, which was a little lonely, but it showed their status. Bodkin was feeling surprisingly gloomy, for now it was all over. He was a hero no more, just an ordinary assistant bodyguard. It had been one stolen day, one glorious twenty-four hours, where he could ride and fight beside a princess, just as if he were her equal and a proper warrior himself. 
Now, Bodkin said to Wish, trying to sound more cheerful than he felt, we can all get back to normal, Princess. You give me the spoon and I'll take him back to the kitchen, where he can return to life being an ordinary dinner spoon. It's time to give up magic things, just like you promised me. Yes, said Wish thoughtfully, but then I have still got the spelling book, haven't I? Maybe I'll give up the spoon tomorrow. All right, then, agreed Bodkin. You promise you will tomorrow? I promise, said Wish. Good night said bodkin good night spoon good night said wish shyly shaking bodkin's hand um princess said bodkin for something had been bothering him that fainting thing that happened a little bit tonight you don't think that's going to be a problem do you with my future in bodyguarding is there any other profession you'd be interested in asked wish tactfully well yes as it happens i've always wanted to be a fool and i'm quite good at the whole storytelling thing and but that's not the point, said Bodkin. My point is, all my family have been bodyguards, so I have to be one, and I'm going to be good at it with a slight fainting issue. I'm sure you'll grow out of that, said Wish. Tomorrow, maybe. But in the meantime, look what brilliant bodyguarding you just did. You're a hero and a very good friend. I am not a hero, I am an assistant bodyguard, said Bodkin, very relieved. And that is what an assistant bodyguard is for, to assist but he didn't deny that he was the princess's friend. And then they both went to bed. The princess to her royal bed of goose down feathers, the assistant bodyguard to his bed of straw underneath the kitchen table. They both slept soundly, for it had been a tiring night, what with one thing and another, but everything cannot be the same as it always was, of course. Once an assistant bodyguard has been on an adventure like that one, he has changed forever. Like the enchanted spoon, he had been burned at the edges by witch's fire and scorched by the breath of sprites. He had opened his eyes in the wizard's camp. He had listened to the speech of ravens. They had made him see things from their point of view. I may have said this before, but this can be the problem with adventures, which is why Bodkin's father was so very, very against them. Meanwhile, Sycorax had a long, long night all alone in that darkness, and she had plenty of time for thinking. Who knows? She may have even learned a lesson or two. That is, after all, what a dungeon is for. And when, eventually, the guard woke up and unlocked the prison cell where she was trapped, Queen Sycorax ran out the door and straight to the chamber of magic removal, for she'd heard the commotion of the night before, and she'd imagined all sorts of terrible possibilities about what might be happening. She saw the stone, the sword, she read the note, and that chilly queen turned colder still. Queen Sycorax was no fool. The note said it was from Tsar, but the handwriting on the note, the spelling, made the queen immediately think of Wish. She ran, not even gliding this time, to the platform up to the surface, through the streets of the hill fort, passing the staring eyes of her citizens, her beautiful golden hair in an absolute bird's nest shock of electric horror that would take her a week to brush out. And she was lucky to be able to brush it out at all. Sometimes sprites can mess up your hair with such intricate magic that the only solution is to cut it off entirely. She ran straight to the house where Wish lived. Queen Sycorax did not often go there, for queens are very busy, and they do not always have time to visit their children like normal people. Bursting into Wish's room, Sycorax found her daughter fast asleep, snoring on the bed, and the queen let out a sigh of relief. Relief quickly turned to anger, as so it often will. She gave her daughter a gentle shake to wake her up. Wish opened a sleepy eye and was instantly electrically awake when she saw her mother standing over her like an enraged iceberg. Oh dear. "'Good morning, Mother,' gulped Wish warily. "'The wizard boy is gone,' said Queen Sycorax in a white-cold fury, "'taking in the scratches on Wish's face, the wildness of Wish's hair, "'like which Queen Sycorax's own hair was still whipped up into a frenzy of tangles "'by the sprites using it as a nest. "'Escaping with the other magic creatures. "'Chaos, disorder, anarchy. "'The stone that takes away magic is broken. "'And I've lost the sword as well, stormed Sycorax.' It's trapped in the stone at a time when it is needed most, when witches have returned to the forest. It's an all-round disaster. Someone must have stolen my key. Someone must have helped that wretched wizard boy escape. Someone must have taken him into the sword. Someone who has done this is a traitor to their mother, their family, the entire tribe of warriors. Wish avoided her mother's angry gaze and looked thoughtfully into the distance. I just had this very strange dream, said Wish. I dreamed there was a witch inside the stone that takes away magic that called itself the King Witch. Sycorax started in astonishment. 
her anger evaporated and turned to uneasy alarm. A king witch inside the stone, gasped the queen. What nonsense are you talking? Impossible. Surely that's impossible. But if witches were not extinct, that meant the legends about the king witch might be correct as well. In all the old fairy tales, the king witch was the leader of witches, the mastermind who controlled them all. In my dream, the king witch had been inside the stone for a very long time indeed. Who knows? Maybe someone long ago imprisoned him in there to make the world a safer place, said Wish. The fairy stories about the stone always say not to touch it, don't they? But the meaning of why we're not supposed to touch it has been lost. Centuries and centuries that king witch must have been willing people to come to the stone so he could take away their magic and break out of the stone. And he will have been working his will on you too, mother. On me, on Zar, on all of us. In my dream, the king witch broke out of the stone. No, whispered Sycorax with fierce bright eyes. But she was thinking hard. Wish could sense her mother weakening, so she carried on, speaking thoughtfully and innocently, and looking dreamily into the distance. Another odd thing in the dream, continued Wish, was that in the dungeons below us there was this room full of heads. But they weren't just any old heads, they were heads that I recognised, of people that came to court and argued on your behalf, mother, or said nice things about you when you were away. I'm not sure we'd want the citizens of Warrior Fort to know about those heads, mother, said Wish. Dreams are very odd things, said Sycorax, staring at her daughter. Very, very closely indeed. Mother and daughter looked at each other, their faces in identical masks. Behind both those masks, they were thinking, what do you know? For the first time, they looked surprisingly alike, hair in ridiculous upward waterfalls, faces carefully arranged to give nothing away, Wary eyes. It's complicated, said Queen Sycorax at last. Yes, it is, said Wish. She put out her hand and closed it over Queen Sycorax's icy one. It must be difficult being a queen, said Wish. Queen Sycorax returned the pressure. Yes, it is, said Queen Sycorax. What happened to the witch inside the stone? Where is it now, asked Queen Sycorax. We killed it with a sword, said Wish. In the dream, of course. Hmm, said Queen Sycorax, you were lucky to survive. She touched her daughter's face with the scratches on it. Queen Sycorax looked down at Wish, and for one split second her mask dropped, and there was no disappointment in her eyes but a wary respect, suspicion and fear. Queen Sycorax would never underestimate her daughter again. Her frosty cliff of a face melted into a glint of, of a smile like the sun appearing through clouds over a glacier. Well done, Wish, said Queen Sycorax. That must have been a very frightening dream. A nightmare, in fact. It sounds like you have dealt with it in a very warrior-like fashion. Wish was so relieved she beamed right back at her. My mother smiled at me. Queen Sycorax's smile disappeared and she was her brisk, composed self once more. She adjusted Wish's eye patch, which had gone a little askew. I may have made a mistake about that stone, admitted Queen Sycorax. Even queens make mistakes sometimes. So in these very special circumstances, I am prepared to overlook whatever has happened this past night. Queen Sycorax's voice turned diamond hard. But in the future, you do need to do as I tell you. I want you to have no contact with anything magic whatsoever. No wizards, no magic creatures, not even the smallest itch sprite. Do you understand me, Wish? Yes, Mother, said Wish. And if you see that wretched tricksome Tsar, son of Incanzo, said the Queen, you must tell me at once, you hear me? Yes, Mother, said Wish. But underneath the bedclothes, I'm afraid to say, I happen to know that Wish was crossing her fingers. From now on, Wish, you must work hard at being a normal warrior princess. You can start by keeping this eye patch on at all times, nice and straight. Remember, said Queen Sycorax sternly, she got to her feet, we are warriors. She held up a finger. And a warrior should always be well turned out, said Queen Sycorax. Every hair in place, every weapon sharpened, every fingernail shining. Remember that. And then she swept out of Wish's front door, where a crowd had gathered, watching in staggered silence as Sycorax, her long white gown, raked and ragged, her hair of fright, swept through the courtyard with as much dignity and gravitas as if she was at her own coronation. Guards scurried up to her to offer them her clothes. In one superb gesture, she waved them away, every inch a queen. 
Someone started applauding, nervously. They weren't quite sure why, and the other warriors joined in, even though they did not know what they were clapping for. What had happened? Who dared attack her? What on earth, for the green god's sake, was going on with that hair? And then she turned at the entrance to her own quarters. The crowd grew silent. They leaned in to hear what she would say, expecting her to tell them the story of exactly what had happened down there in the dungeons. I never, said Queen Sycorax in a quiet, mild voice, want anyone to mention this ever again. And they didn't. Chapter 26 Father and Son Meanwhile, Encanzo the Enchanter was pacing the Great Hall, distraught with fear, for although he had sent out a search party after his search party looking for Tsar, the boy had not yet been found. The day before, when Encanzo the Enchanter and his wizards burst into Tsar's room, they found it empty and a great hole in the middle of it. And as Encanzo knelt down by the side of the hole and saw the dead witch lying at the bottom and his son vanished, well... "'What have I done?' the enchanter asked himself, imagining for one terrible moment that the witch might have killed his son before realising, to his infinite relief, that, no, quite incredibly, it was the other way around. Lute appeared over his father's shoulder and turned a little white. "'What is that, father?' "'That,' said Encanzo grimly, "'was a witch.' "'By mistletoe and leaf mould and ginger sideburns of the great Grimoga. "'Witches weren't extinct after all, and the proof was right there, in the middle of Tsar's bedroom. "'It took a while for the wizards, crowding into the wrecked ruins of the room, to take this all in. "'You see,' said Ranta, triumphantly, for even when something really dreadful has happened, "'there's always a satisfaction in being right all along. "'I told you that the boy would do something truly appalling in time, and he has. "'Witches are not extinct, and after hundreds of years of peace, Tsar has brought a witch right here into wizard camp.' It was somehow typical that it would be Tsar who found one. "'How could Tsar have killed this witch?' asked the enchanter with a sort of reluctant admiration. "'Witches are virtually impossible to kill.' "'Well,' admitted Luther, slowly, "'he did cheat in that spelling competition by bringing this great whopping big great iron sword thingy that he had stolen from the warriors.' "'Was it a sword of power?' gasped the enchanter. "'It looked pretty ancient,' said Luther. And I did think he mentioned something about it being a witch-killing sword. But you know what Sars like, he lies his head off all the time. Why didn't you tell me about that? raged the enchanter, turning on Luther as the lightning of his fury crackled around the devastation of Tsar's room. So now, a little over twenty-four hours later, the enchanter was pacing up, down, up, down, hoping against all hope that Tsar might yet be found. Luther was not particularly enjoying how distressed everybody seemed to be at the loss of Tsar. Even Ranta was sighing and saying things like, He was a good boy, really. Lively, of course, mischievous. But he meant well. This is all Tsar's fault, said Luther sulkily. He brought the witch here. It serves him right. But the enchanter was blaming himself. What did the boy say to me just before I banished him to his room? Thought Incanzo. You don't care about me. All you want is a son who is magic. Incanzo wanted to be able to tell his son that that was not true. But it was too late. His son was not there. Incanzo had been up all night in the form of a peregrine falcon, and he had flown low over the treetops, mile after weary mile, searching for his son. But Tsar was an expert in covering his tracks, so even the bright red eyes of the falcon, peering deep down into the leafy blackness, could spot no sign of the boy, however hard they looked. Incanzo had consulted his star map so scorchingly long that his eye-beams burned holes into them, but Tsar was hidden in a fort of iron, so peer how the enchanter may, but there was no sign of the boy there either. It was as if he had vanished off the face of the earth. And then the enchanter began to think the unthinkable. Nobody knew much about witches. What if, just before it died, the witch had dispatched the boy and made Tsar's corpse disappear in some manner unknown to Encanto? The enchanter had sent Tsar to his room to teach him a lesson. But as so often it seems to happen, the lesson being taught was to the enchanter himself. I wish I had not shouted at the boy. I wish I had listened to him, not threatened to expel him. I wish he may not have died without not knowing that I love him. 
called in Kanzo the Great Enchanter, but even a very great enchanter cannot turn back time. There was a shout at the doorway. The pacing enchanter turned eagerly. It was him. It was Zar. There he was, climbing off night-eye, his snow-cat looking a little guilty, a little unsure of his reception, but still as cheeky and as irrepressible and full of himself as ever. Maybe even more so. All powerful enchanters are, at heart, still parents like the rest of us. Inkanzo the great enchanter ran to his son on trembling legs, and with pathetic eagerness and relief he scooped up Zar in his arms. Zar, you're alive and you've come home, cried Inkanzo the great enchanter. I have, said Zar, grinning with surprise from ear to ear, for he had been expecting awkward expulsion, and at the worst, left few awkward questions, which was what normally happened when he made it back from an adventure. Um, sorry about the dead witch, father, and my broom, and I've lost my spelling book again, but look! Zar beckoned to the giants, the wizards, and the dwarves, and the sprites that he had rescued from Sycorax's dungeons to come forward. The crowd gathered in wizard camp gasped as they recognised family members, friends and colleagues that they thought they would never see again. They rushed to embrace their lost relatives with cries of joy. I wanted to make amends, said Zard proudly. I tried to take magic from a witch, and I stole a sword that brought the witch to us, so I returned the sword to Sycorax's dungeons. While I was there, I realised she was keeping our people prisoners, so I rescued them. Well... For astonishingly mad but brave acts like that one, they would have all been prepared to forgive Zar even if he had led troops of witches into the camp. As long as he killed them all, of course. Inkanzo was very rarely pleased with his son, but he was his son doing something right for a change, and the most important right thing of all being he had returned home alive. For the first time, Inkanzo the king enchanter shook his son by the hand as if he were an equal. Zar thought he had never been so happy in his life. To see his father looking at him, Zar, with such pride, such love, such admiration. To see everyone else in camp cheering and applauding him. The enchanter turned to the crowd. Perhaps there needs to be room in the wizard world for those who have no magic, cried the enchanter. For look, these brave wizards, giants and sprites are returning to us with their magic removed. We need to find a place for these people, do we not, in society? And the crowd cried back, We do, we do. I would like to propose three cheers for my son, Zar, said the enchanter, who braved the terrors of Sycorax's dungeons to bring these old friends back to us. A great danger to himself and his sprites and animals. Zar, 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 cheered the wizards. Why is Zar so annoying, raged Luther, clenching his fist. My son has returned to me, and he returns a better person. Zar has learned a lesson, smiled the enchanter. That is far, far wiser wait for your magic to come in than try to obtain it from a dark source. He turned to his son, and Zar has taught me a lesson too. It is far, far better to have a son who has no magic than to have no son at all. Welcome home, Zar. The enchanter hugged his son, and then the enchanter turned once more to the cheering crowd. So I declare this a day of thanks and celebrations. Let's see. What shall we call it? said the enchanter, and if he hadn't been such a very great enchanter, there might have been a twinkle in the grey grim of his eye. We shall call it the celebration of Zar not coming into his magic. Let the festivities begin. Now, the wizards never need much excuse to have a party. The hall went mad with fiddles magically playing themselves, the zigzagging glow of sprites zooming everywhere, and wizards and snowcats and giant dwarves and animals of all shapes and sizes dancing and singing and howling to the dark winter sky. Are we free now, Master? Ariel asked, flying up to the enchanter, wanting to get him while he was in a rare good mood. Don't forget that you promised us, Caliburn and me, our freedom when the boy grows up and no longer needs us. We are sprites too brave for a boy like Zar. I haven't forgotten, snapped the enchanter, his benevolence disappearing. But let's face it, Zar will need you for a little while longer. I will not release you and Caliburn until the boy grows up into a wise and thoughtful adult. That may never happen, said the raven. In which case, you will never be free, said the enchanter grimly. And by the way, Caliburn. Um, yes, enchanter, said Caliburn, staring guiltily. At some point, I will want a full report of exactly what went on over the last twenty-four hours. Now is the time for celebration, but later you must tell me the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, Caliburn. And off the enchanter swept with a rather unnerving thunderclap sweep of his cloak to join in the merrymaking. 
I'd rather you didn't tell him the whole truth, Grinzer. Yes, said Caliban. I think I might leave out the bit about the sword being iron and magic mixed together, and the sprite being poisoned, and the witch inside the stone, and Wish being the girl of destiny. In fact, now I come to think of it, there's not a great deal of the story I can tell, is there? Definitely don't tell him this, then, said Zara, a mischievous glint in his eyes as he opened up his hand. There, right in the centre of his palm, was a very faint green mark of a washed-out witch stain. Caliburn gave a squawk of absolute horror. The witch stain! What happened? I thought you got rid of it. So did I, grinned Zar, closing his fist around it again. But I must have come off the stone too quickly. And you know the best thing about it? Now Zar could not begin to repress his excitement. I think it's beginning to work. But, but, but Zar, grappled poor Caliburn, it's bad magic from a dark source. We've just gone through all this and I thought you'd learned your lesson and returned a better person, just like your father said. What has the whole moral of this entire adventure all been about? But Zar had already hurried off, not worried he was going to miss some of the Zar not coming into his magic celebrations. While the sprites joined enthusiastically into the festivities and were zooming around and getting into their usual mischief, such as Tiffinstorm had a wonderful time aiming spells at people's food, so when they picked it up it was something yummy like a nice slice of apple pie. By the time it reached their mouths it had turned into something disgusting like a giant slug. Squeeze juice out of a stink spell though typically got it wrong, and instead of smelling of bad eggs, it smelled rather deliciously of lemons. Zar showed off all to the prettiest girls without a care in the world. Meanwhile, poor old Caliburn was sitting on a tree branch, worrying and trying to comfort himself. Maybe because the king witch is dead, the bird said to himself, the witches will go back to sleep again. Maybe even if they wake again in our lifetime, they will not find the girl because she will not be so silly to venture out of the iron fort again because maybe she is one of those rare humans who learn from their mistakes. Maybe. Then, as is the way of warriors, having made themselves feel better about one worry, immediately started to worry about something else. Tsar wished for magic and he got it. And it is bad magic indeed and if his father ever finds out about it then Tsar will be in bigger trouble than ever, worried Caliburn. And although they are happy with him now, it will not take them long to remember his past disobediences, give a were-dog a bad name and all that. The old raven cocked his head to the other side as if to consider the alternatives. But then maybe Zar will learn to control that magic of his before his father finds out. There is good in Zar, and this adventure has brought that out in him too. The good in Zar will control the bad in the blood. Maybe. Maybe. Caliburn yelled Zar from below. Stop sitting up there being all gloomy and worrying. Zar turned around him to check no one was looking. And then he pointed up his hand with a witch stain on it at the tree branch. Zar must have tried to perform magic a thousand times before, but it never worked. But this time was different. This time he felt this extraordinary tingling feeling. A kind of pins and needles in his entire right arm. It was as if some weird muscle that he'd never felt before was stretching out and unfurling. And to Zar's delight, he could feel the magic curving out of his fingertips. Bam! It exploded the tree branch that Caliburn was sitting on, and with a disgruntled shriek, the old bird fell out of the sky in a flurry of feathers and flapped protestingly in front of Zar's grinning face. It worked, cried Zar, looking at his hand in total delight. Everything has been worth it. I did get magic in the end, after all. Caliburn sighed, a very, very deep sigh. The moral of the adventure had all gone wrong somehow. And Zar was learning to be good, was going to take a little time. But in the meantime, worry tomorrow, old bird, smiled Zar. Tonight we dance. And the wizard boy took the raven by the wings, and the old bird forgot to worry. And he became like a chick again as Zar whirled him round and round, dancing with him under the cold of the midnight stars. Epilogue So, that was the story of Zar and Wish and how their stars crossed on a midnight deep long ago in the ancient past, before the British Isles knew that they were the British Isles yet and the magic lived in the dark forests. And a little like Caliburn, I am still trying to figure out the moral of it. You have to listen to the stories, for stories always mean something. But what worries me is, what exactly do they mean? It's the story of how Zar got himself some magic and how Wish found out she was special, and how the King Witch escaped from the stones. 
So everyone got their wishes, but not quite in the way that they expected. Because, and I think I've mentioned this once or thrice before, you have to be careful what you wish for, guys. It may come true. Right at the beginning of the story, I said it was being told by one of the characters. Can you guess which one? I couldn't be any of I could be any of them, couldn't I? Zara, the wish, or Bodkin, the assistant bodyguard with a dream of being a hero, Sycorax or Encanto, or one of the sprites, or the dusty old bird Caliburn, the raven who has lived many lifetimes. I could be any of these characters, good or bad, or a mixture of both. I'm not going to tell you the answer to who I am yet. You will have to keep on guessing, for we have not reached the end of the story, not by a long way. The king witch is out of the stone like a genie out of the bottle. He will be looking for Wish, for she has the magic that works on iron. And Zara has bad magic, and we do not yet know how that will turn out. Under Wish's pillow, the spelling book is sleeping, but it could wake any moment. Let us hope that Caliburn is right, and it will help her fight back against wicked people with strong magic and the evil hearts who might want to get hold of the magic she possesses. For where there is one witch, there will be others. Keep hoping. Keep guessing. Keep dreaming. Signed, The Unknown Narrator. Once there was magic wandering free, in roads of sky and paths of sea, and in that timeless long-gone hour, words of nonsense still had power. Doors still flew and birds still talked, witches grinned and giants walked. We had magic wands and magic wings, and we lost our hearts to impossible things, unbelievable thoughts, unsensible ends, for wizards and warriors might be friends. In a world where impossible things are true, I don't know why we forgot the spell, when we lost our old way, how the forest fell. But now we are old, we can vanish too, and I see once more the invisible track that will lead us home and take us back. So find your wands and spread your wings. I'll sing love of impossible things. And when you take my vanished hand, we'll both go back to that magic land where we lost our hearts several lifetimes ago, where we were wizards once. So, that's the story of Wish and Bodkin and Zar. So far, anyway. I hope that you enjoyed that because next episode we'll be continuing the story with the Wizards of Wands, twice magic. So I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>